Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Please welcome Graham Chaffee and Sammy Harkin. Hi. Thank you. Oh, so I guess the benefit and the the negative of having a cartoonist interview you is that most of my questions are going to be kind of inside baseball type things. Okay. You know, so just to get started, I'm curious, like, there was a big gap between your books in the 90s. Was Big Wheel the last one? No, Big Wheel was the first one, and then... There was another one, like right away afterwards, called uh-huh. the most. It was a short story collection, right? Called the most important thing, and then I had a little piece in Drawn and Quarterly, and then nothing for like fifteen years or something. And what what led to Big Wheel or Big Wheels? Sorry, I had always just kind of wanted to do comics. I just thought, you know, uh, it, when I went into Art Center, I was interested in comics, and I had been kind of toying with the idea the whole time I was at school, and. Uh, I was messing around with a bunch of stories, and Big Wheels was the one that... I mean, I sent a bunch of Xeroxes to Fantagraphics in 93, and Big Wheels was... The fragment of Big Wheels that I sent was what they bit on and said, well, can you finish this? We're maybe interested in that. And so I finished it, and that, you know... Were you reading comics at the time, or were you not even engaged with... No, I was reading comics. Yeah. You know, like all the... All the highlights of the 80s and 90s, I was, you know, the Batman Returns and the Watchmen and stuff, you know. Right, right. All the, all the things that everyone was all about in the mid-80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. And so you, you finished Big Wheels, you went straight into the second book, and then <clears throat> after that there's about, what would you say, 15 years? Something like that. It's actually not, it took me five years to make Good dog. Right. So the apparent gap is not as is bigger than the actual amount of time. Did it, it feel like, like you were taking? Did you feel that gap, or was it always a sense that you were working constantly no, no, throughout no, no. that I, time? I, I, I had thought I was done with comics, and then uh, was it the response? I don't know how the book was how, how the books were. Was, uh, how, I think the they just disappeared. Like. It was before the internet. Right. So there was no way to really know. But yeah, I like, found them in Australia, so that means they had some sort of reach, you know. Yeah, like, I found well, them as a teenager, and I, I loved them. I just, well, I started tattooing, and I was into that, and I was right. just doing, I was just focused on tattooing for a number of years. And um, Did you learn how to tattoo after drawing comics, or was oh, that yeah. something you were doing concurrently? No, no, no. no I, I did the comics, and then I was doing tattooing, and then I got back into comics in twenty in 2007. You started on... when I started Good Dog. Right. So it was like, I don't know, like 12 years or something between the last thing that was published and when I started doing it again, but then it was another four or five years doing the book before it was And print. with Good Dog, was that when you come up with an idea like that, where 
almost every character is an animal, is there any hesitancy of like, oh man, I'm now going to have to learn how to draw dogs so well? No, I didn't think it was going to be as big as it was. I uh-huh. thought it was going to be like a short story or something that I would just do for fun and mm-hmm. it would just be Xeroxed or whatever. Sure. And, uh, and then it grew, but as it grew, I was just kept drawing the stuff. It wasn't, I didn't really have any pressure about drawing it. I, I, I wasn't very serious about it when I started. I was just doing it, and then it just kept, it, it ballooned into a whole thing. Right. Right. And so for it to have and to hold, it feels like a big, it feels like in some ways a leap into new territory, but also sort of retaining a lot of the same sort of visual ideas, and it's, the world feels very familiar. Well, it's um, all my stories up through this one take place in the same city like the big wheel do you want to flip through some pages so people can see sure the the city that the big wheels took place in Mm -hmm. and this story and um the the piece i did for drawn and quarterly and good dog all take place in the what issue just just because i'm curious what issue of drawn and quarterly did that story i can't remember <laughs> okay, and just for the completists. It was. It was. I can find it. I can find that for anyone who wants to know. I can email you with the edition <laughs> of Drawn and Quarterly that I had a story in. I'll um, email you. It features. It's a story about the uh, couple that own the billiards parlor that's in Good Dog, right? And that make a cameo here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were also in the Big Wheels. They like had their start in the Big Wheels, and that billiard parlor got its start in the Big Wheels, and it's just. It's all, the the city is the main character continuity thing, and it's like it's not a real city. It's not New York. It's just a made up town. I just it just it's ba- it's meant to be New York ish, but I didn't want to be constrained by the actual geography of New York. Or I whatever. found that really interesting because I think that's a really hard thing to do to not just go like I'm going to set it in you know this specific place in this specific. I mean, you do it is set in a specific time. Yeah, but I thought that was really interesting. It's October of 1962, right? Because I needed a news broadcast <laughs> for to be playing in the background of like one of the panels, like the first panel of the first page of the book, right? And I was looking for vintage news broadcasts, and I found one from the Cuban Missile Crisis that had. You know, I could hear the audio of it, and you know, and I'm like, "All right, fine. This takes place in October of 1962." And I just got all my news. There's stuff on the TV and, and news that happens during the course of the book, and it's all just from this one broadcast. And it's about Khrushchev and Kennedy and uh, uh, stuff in Algiers and some uh, uh, murderer that didn't have his death penalty commuted by the governor. You know, stuff like that. It was just all. And then I just snuck in my own fake comic book news to, you know, right. flush out the broadcast. But it's all, like, the time and place of this is just based on what I was able to find for my research. Right. And so I know you have some images of reference. Should we go to those oh, now? Yeah, is sure. that okay? No problem. Because I, I was curious about that. See, like this, how is much... the, this is the billiard hall from... The big wheels, like this, goes back to 1993, mm-hmm. and then the dog in it goes back to. Whoops, I'm going so fast. Um, these are my two main characters for this book: um, Anthony Quinn and the young Livia Soprano. I don't remember the actress's name. She's like in five <laughs> seconds of The Sopranos in like one episode, but it doesn't matter. It's not her face. It's just her her overall look. 
she's that woman is like my main character uh, and uh, I wasn't copying her this it's more of like a spark yeah, I get, totally just, get that she's, she's just I totally who understand. I thought of when I was like drawing the character sure. and then my the facial character for my guy was basically basically Anthony Quinn and you right. know you can see if you look at the cover of the book that it's you know, it's him. Was it useful to like watch Anthony Quinn movies just when you'd forget about it for a year or two and then go like, no, oh, no, it's no, on no. TCM? It was, and it was it was more that if I, I mean, a reason I use celebrities in my book is because if you need a picture of Anthony Quinn laughing or smiling or frowning or yelling or whatever, you can find one. <laughs> but if it's just somebody that you know personally, then you got to take a million photos, and it's really hard. It's hard, you know. But I can find a million pictures of Anthony Quinn with a variety of facial expressions anytime. And so I just cast my story with all these it's interesting actual celebrities because there's so much You can always, usually, not always, but usually you can tell when cartoonists are like copying or using a lot of reference. You know, but your work doesn't have any of that sort of stiffness. It all feels like it's your language, it's your drawing. It's really interesting I, to see how, like, it really is specific like that. Well, I I would make my version of him, and then it would, and then I would, and then it would be kind of like, well, this is my Anthony Quinn, and then it just became that, and he would go away a little bit from the original reference and just be right. whoever he was. Right. Um, there's a few cameos, like uh, the two cops in my book are uh, John Lurie and uh, Tom Petty character actors. Here they are uh, in the book. Nice. And uh, then uh, there's cameos, uh, Red Fox and Abe Vigoda and Don Knotts. These are like small, you know, I just sort of threw them in there because why not, you know? Sure. Uh, And uh, it's, like I said, it's just easier to find a ton of pictures of stuff like that. And I wanted to talk about photo reference because this is how I draw a police station without photo reference. I needed this big shot of a police station, and I just drew it kind of out of my head, and I made up all these features, you know, and I drew kind of a boxy police car. And I looked at it, and I thought, God, that's really not worth a full page. Let me redraw it. And so I came up with this one. And this is, you know, based on, whoops, based on, uh-oh, we're having technical difficulties. <laughs> the, uh, the images are all out of order. It's based on this. And uh, this is an actual police station. And it, uh, it, just the difference between this guy and this guy is why you should take your time and maybe find some photos to use when you're trying to draw stuff. Um, some other examples are the Terminal Bar in Times Square. This got torn down in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But it was an amazing-looking bar. And here's my copy of it. And, uh, and I got stuff from everywhere. Here's a painting by Millard Sheets. This is in LACMA. It's a painting of uh, Angel's Flight you know, from above. Uh, this is where the Broad is now, right? Mm-hmm. So this is like from the balcony of the Broad, and then I copied it here. Nice. If I could have found a way to do, jeez, if I could have found a way to put my character twice, I woulda. I was looking to think, well, could there be like a glass door that's open and you see her reflection on it and it just became too complicated and I, and I didn't go that far. But Is that I because you liked the original composition? Yeah, I liked or it so wanted... much. I liked this right. so much I wanted to do to get it as close to it it's as I could. It's really funny because you have a lot of scenes where it's two people at that apartment 
Yeah, you could have done it. I, no, but she. I just wanted her by herself. I you know, I didn't want her with the guy. It was more the feeling yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, and um, and then I. This is just a show where I would just get stuff from all over. Here's like a, kind of a Levittown house that uh, became the uh, one of the characters' houses in the in the book, and uh, and then a lot of stuff like this. It's it's all about finding stuff that's behind buildings and like stuff that we, you would not you know you need to draw the back of a store you know what is that I had to like? do a and scene I, recently where it was the in it was the interior of a police station like the where where the booking takes place yeah and it was so hard to find reference I mean there are things that you would think there's a lot of photographs of you just got to watch like a lot of cop shows and then freeze right. frame stuff right um, right I did a lot of yeah I I didn't put them in here but there's tons of police station material that I have, you know, drawings of police stations, and then also newsrooms. Mm-hmm. Newsrooms of police stations look the same. It's just a whole bunch of desks in a great big room, and there's, like, clocks and stuff on the wall, and, and you know, I used a lot of stuff like that. But, your stuff, feels you very, but your stuff feels very specific. I mean, it feels very early 60s, so it's... Well, I was... You look, can't I just was, look at anything. It's no, like I, was, I, was, very... I was all vintage newsroom, vintage police station, vintage right. New York police station, blah, blah, blah. I did a lot of stuff like this where I would find characters too like this guy this dude sitting on the steps uh became this guy Mm -hmm. and you can see he's going down into the into the cafe that this other guy's coming out of and uh i just liked his haircut and his glasses his sunglasses and he became a character you know for like three pages Mm -hmm. and uh then here's this like better homes and gardens kind of life magazine thing became uh this guy's living room and uh the cars in the book are real cars you know like the main characters the main characters drive a uh, a ford interceptor and the getaway car is a uh buick roadmaster nice what that's what that is and uh this the dog book had like I don't know. Like I, I had a half a dozen pictures of dogs that I used to kind of get dog reference, and then two or three pictures of factories and stuff, and that was it. Everything else I just drew out of my head, mm-hmm. and it didn't matter. Uh, but for this one, it wasn't easier one way or the other. It's way easier to not have to look stuff up. Oh, sure, like the dog book, just drawing generic apartment buildings and pointy topped houses and fire hydrants and stuff out of my head was way faster than finding real cityscapes and real buildings but also less interesting and mm-hmm. I, I kind of raised the bar for this one in terms of the realism I think and, mm-hmm. it, and it just and there is big shots of like guys tailing people in cars and, and aerial shots of cities and stuff and I just needed more photos so that's uh, where that comes from um are you, I mean, what's the development of, of a strip like this when you know, because I'm sure when you start thinking about it, you're like, oh, this is going to be big. Unlike a good dog, you know from the outside that like this is going to probably be 100 pages at least. Yeah, I, I was thinking, good dog was 90-something pages, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, this would be longer than that. This would be like 150, and it just kept going and kept going. And but where does, I mean, are you writing anything down? Are you going scene by scene? I'm just curious what the process is of like, you In, know, are you starting with a handful of visual ideas? or it narrative was, ideas? This one started with a plot. Like, I was like, I want to do a noir story and I need a plot. And it's just like, this guy finds out his wife's cheating on him and he's going to like... Originally, he was going to... He was going to... No spoilers. Rob a bank. Like, they, she's, she's cheating on him with a banker. And he was going to like rob a bank 
and and uh, he was going to use that robbery to kill the bank manager, and that way he could get his revenge on this guy without anyone suspecting there was a personal motive because it just would have been during the robbery. Plus, he gets a bunch of money. So and like and then everything goes wrong. That was like okay, I got my noir plot, mm-hmm. and then I it changed and evolved and things shifted and as you're working as on actual pages, on it, yeah, I would right. be like, this scene doesn't seem right. He's not going to do that. He wouldn't, you know. Once once you've written a whole bunch of stuff, then you know the character. And you're like, he would never do that. He would do this, mm-hmm. and so it changed. And um, this one just started with a plot, and I did it, and I kind of mapped out it's you know he's got to find out if she's cheating he's got to do some investigation he's got to plan this robbery and he's got to get his team together and then you have to do the robbery then all the cops investigate and then there's a big denouement at the end and i kind of had the islands on that atoll of events mapped out in my head and then i would just start at the beginning and just write scenes and just try to fill them up and then i would go back and add more scenes as more stuff occurred to me. Sure. Um, there was this one scene. I'm just going to go back a whole bunch mm-hmm. to the beginning here. Um, this scene here where he's just found out that his wife's been lying to him. Like she needed the car to go play bingo at the Catholic church and he found out that she hadn't been there. And uh, he comes home. He's worked all night. It's a night shift and she's in bed and she's got to get up in the morning. And he comes home and he he's he's can ask her about, well, how is bingo? You know, and uh, and she kind of wakes up enough, just enough, just enough to shut him down and go back to sleep. She's not taking any crap from him. And this scene, and the scene that followed it, where there's a little struggle for the kind of moral advantage between the two of them, uh, became the scene where I figured out what the book was about, which isn't about bank robberies or anything, but about their relationship, their crappy marriage. And uh, she became a real character because up until this point, she was just the cheating wife. She was just a reason for him to want to do all this stuff. She didn't really have any dreams of her own or anything. Mm-hmm. She wasn't a real person. But when she when she wakes up and tells him to shut up and go to sleep, she became a real person. And, and then... <laughs> And then the and when I expanded the scene, and uh, uh, they have this back and forth, uh, and she winds up getting the moral advantage and and kind of winning, you know, because uh, he has it at the beginning, like he knows that she's cheated on him, and he's got the moral advantage and he's using it, and then she turns it around and and he it winds up being a different thing, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that scene is where she got her own agency and she became a real person and I became more interested in their relationship and then I had to like expand on that throughout the rest of the book. I had to like intersperse my heist plot with stuff about her and stuff about them and it became much more about their relationship. Because she's a very tough character. She's like a really dark character but you kind of feel for her well, and she became my favorite character in the book. Like, right. You know, it went from being about him and what yeah, he was But you never to, softened to, her in all that, though, which I thought was great. Well, and I wasn't going to... Uh, Susan, what's the movie <laughs> where the woman doesn't get soft? Oh, um... I like how there's one. There's just one movie. <laughs> I'll a, back to it. All right. Well, it's a, it's a noir movie. It's a heist movie. and It's from Black and White Days. And... There's a female character, like a Bonnie and Clyde type team up, and she never 
pulls back. She, ne- she never pulls her punches. She never softens up. She never surrenders to femininity. She's like, I think she's using children as like a human shield at one point. Like she never softens up. She never lets go. They never said, you know, we'll make her weak. You know, she's the weakness, and 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 you know that's why their whole. She never does. Gun crazy. Gun crazy. Oh, it's a great movie. And um, and I w- was thinking about that the whole time I was working with her. That she's not gonna. She doesn't lighten up. She doesn't soften up. She doesn't give an inch. She knows what she wants, and she's going after it. And she's she's not amoral. You know, I mean, she's cheating on her husband, but. Lots of people cheat. It doesn't mean they're awful people. She get, but she gets pushed into this position, and uh, and they, you know, they both hate each other. It's like a bad marriage, you know. But it was working as a bad marriage until all this started. Like they had. How far into the book were you at that point? Because yeah, like when you got to that scene where because it doesn't sound like you're working totally. This, yeah, I wasn't. I. I well, okay, I'm going to go back. With Good Dog, I wrote the whole thing as a script. I laid out the whole thing in a sketchbook, all my darks and lights and everything, and then I did the finished art, and then I went back and added like 30 more pages because my publisher told me it wasn't big enough and I needed to add like another third. Mm-hmm. And um, But I did the whole book three times, right? In this one, I was I, I felt there was no way I was going to do that. It was too boring, and it's 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 disheartening to have to go back and do stuff again so I would I would write a few scenes and I would lay them out and ink them and then I would write some more so it was only just like a chapter ahead of myself and I think I, that's, and the, I, I think and that's I would, the ideal way of working I would, I would just do it I would be making the finished art as I went along mm-hmm. and then I would go back when I had it add more scenes and I and there's stuff in the beginning of the book that got put in at the end you know and if you if you are super anal retentive and are looking at the stylistic changes. You can see the newer art. You can see a progression from like the way the characters are drawn at the beginning to the way they're drawn by the end, and then you can also see where the end type drawings got shoved back in at the beginning. If you're really on it, you know, for all scholars of my work out there that are really pursuing this, you can you can do that. Um. Well, let's see. What else do you have on there? You have some other things that w- w- I wouldn't mind seeing. I saw you had some bank robber pictures. Oh, yeah. I uh, I had... I, they're out of order. This was like stuff that just influenced me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for this specific story? Me, or just in general? In there's, general I, and for this story. Because I do find that artists have like... There's, a, there's sort of a, a very limited wellspring that they constantly go back to. Yeah, you know? no, that's true for me. You know, and I, I think that's true of, like, every good artist in a way. They're always kind of, like, digging into the same All my stories are things. basically going to be this. This image know? is, yeah. like... Um, I always wanted to do... I mean, I've, I've been in love with noir film and stuff forever. And uh, this is Ouija, right? <laughs> and uh, And... It's not that he's a great photographer and it's all the composition so much as I just... It's just the feeling that you get from his photos just gets in your brain and that's just in there. And, and, and uh, I do think, like, it's a very... It's tonally, it's very specific and very few cartoonists, especially modern cartoonists, can tap into that feeling. You well, know, I think it's, it's amazing how well you do that. Just back you know? in there. Well, I watch a bunch of black and white No, but it's, it's your artwork. I mean, it's, it's a lot of things that all make it work. You're getting a compliment, so just take ah. it and just feel like that. <laughs> you know. This is, 
this particular picture is what's running in my mind the whole time I'm making the book. Mm -hmm. This is a scene from uh, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Mm -hmm. And to me, a comic book is a movie. Like, if I could make a movie, I'd make a movie, but I can't. And so I <laughs> make a comic book. Don't say that. Well, it costs like a million dollars to make a movie, and you gotta have a crew and all this stuff. I can just do a comic That's book so by funny. myself, right? Like I just, I get to sit down and draw. But the it whole sort of movie. negates like a lot of and aspects of what you do. But okay. Well, but it's but to me, I'm 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 making a movie. It's right. it, it's and there's rules to like I don't. You never see a character thinking anything in my comics. Almost zero. Do you hear anyone's thoughts? You, you break that rule sometimes, though. Very rarely. <laughs> and, it, and if I and if they is someone thinking, they're thinking a picture. Like there'd be a coffee cup in their head, and I just and I do it because I need to show that they want a cup of coffee and they're going into a place. And I, you know, <laughs> but I never have someone saying, you know, what if anyone found out my secret identity? Like there's that never happens. There's right. almost never narrative voiceover. There's it's just people doing stuff and saying things and I'm, it's all about showing it not saying it right. and so that's and it's and it's all about camera angles and moving and I'm thinking about any scene I'm writing I'm thinking about well the camera's going to be here then it's going to go around behind them here and then we're going to have a close up and then we pull back and then we're going to get an aerial shot and all this stuff and I'm thinking of it as a movie and the kind of movie that I'm thinking of are these little obscure noir films from the 70s. Uh, John Cassavetes, uh, or this one, the, the, the Friends of Eddie Coyle, or, uh, well, less obscure, uh, The French Connection, uh, stuff like that. There's like the, the Charlie Varick. Um, sure. They're just these kind of like, there's a feeling about 70s noir. It's kind of bleak, and it's small, and it's not about big, spectacular things with a lot of big horn section doing crazy... Dun, 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 music, sure, it's you know. very unadorned in and, a lot yeah, of ways. It's, it's all really spare. locations and, and it's a um, lot of regular people. And that's what I'm thinking about and that's where this book and the next book that we're working on now are all based on these kind of like small 70s noir films like little... Well, what about crime movies. fiction? Do you read a lot of yeah, uh, like books and, and stuff? Yeah, tons of Who's it. your favorite? Name top three. Well... The obvious ones, like okay, well, like James M. Cain, uh, uh, Raymond Chandler, and Dashiell Hammett are my three favorite go back tos. But there's an see, I would think you would be like Thompson, Goodis, yeah, they're, like the guys yeah, who are also, more like psychological and you know they're more. I feel their work feels very personal. Well, but but that's but that's like when I'm reading a noir book is not the same as when you're watching a movie. And like I said, these are movies. And so my, my what I'm going for emotionally in my books is what I'm feeling, that kind of bleak Get Carter feeling from these like late 60s, 70s noir movies, right. which is a different thing than in, when you're reading a noir book like The Maltese Falcon or The Big Sleep or whatever. Sure. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing those. Mm -hmm. I love them, but that's not... I, and I would feel too self-conscious. Like, I don't feel self-conscious about jumping into this. Mm -hmm. um, but I would feel dumb making a private eye gumshoe thing with, like, a dame. I don't, a you know what I mean? Like, I don't like mean, if I was trying to, if, I don't mean I to bring them up to as... Get into that right. world that's been tread so much right. that I didn't want to explore it anymore. And I wanted to do... This noir mm -hmm. is more interesting to me. Interesting. Cool. So, 
Let's see what else. What are some um, other big references? Yeah, we have to go all the way to the end. Other things that influence me are Edward Hopper, because again, bleak, like people that are like together but totally not together. And this is their whole marriage right here. Is this painting is like the marriage of my main couple, and that kind of stillness and not communicating is like a big thing for me. I've always liked sure. Hopper. And um, Robert Crumb's insistence on putting every telephone wire and mailbox and street sign and parking meter into a scene. While I don't go this distance, I'm always thinking about this picture when I'm drawing my stuff and how important it is. It's sort of like uh, the, the Bruegel. It, it's the know? density or yeah. like do you like it, well, the, the moral the, component of the, it, which well, is... both. Right. Both. It's it, a lot of it is that there's all this stuff that you don't even think about is around you, above your head, and all around you all the time. And it's important to like put that junk in there. And that's why when I was going back, you know, like if I had to draw this out of my head, I would never have that little ladder, and I would never have the air conditioning unit, sure. and I wouldn't know what would be written on the side of the building, and it wouldn't occur to me to do this little rubber bumper on the on the thing where the car backs up and uh, I needed the photo of this to give me those little clues of mundane stuff just wires and vents and all these door handles on a car all this kind of stuff because it sort of suggests it suggests a lot more of like the the feeling in the air the moment the time of day you gotta have all that stuff and you don't have to put it all in but you need to put in enough of it that the Till you feel like, all right, I got the feeling I want, and then I can be done. Now, what about comic book influences? I mean, you've talked a lot about film, but probably my biggest mean? comic influence visually is a guy named Dave Mazzicelli, um, who, who I don't know what he's doing now, but the stuff that I was reading in the eighties and nineties, uh, he was doing stuff with Frank Miller with Batman, and then he does this experimental thing called Rubber Blanket, which I don't know if you read, but sure. that was really cool. Um, He's got a kind of a loose black and white kind of cartoony, sort but also realistic. City of Glass, you know. Yeah, that City of Glass was cool. Yeah, um, and so he's like a big one. And then the Hernandez brothers, they did Love and Rockets, are a big one for me. The black and white compositions are really big for me. Right. Um, and there's a million. I mean, I like. There's so many cartoonists I admire. I, it, the list is endless. You know, Crom obviously is big with all the urban details. But I mean, are you looking? Stuff. Do you pull out Mazu Kelly's books or no. Love and Rockets? No, no, yeah. no it's, just, it's just it's, it's just influenced how my own wrist developed. Like it was more like I read them and admire them, and I don't look at them anymore. But then I think about drawing kind of like some of those things. I didn't remember copying them. Uh, right, right. But I, right. I, like, I haven't looked at a Mazzuccelli comic in I don't know twenty years, you know. But I, but they're in my mind, you know. Sure. Um, so, do you want to tell us before we finish a little bit about what you're working on? I think you've been posting some stuff oh, online. Yeah, sure. So why don't we tell them as a little yeah, preview of what's it's coming? A, it's the next one is um, another noir, and I and I finally got out of this made up town that I've been putting oh, no. everything in and I moved to Los Angeles and I'm doing a 1970s I moved it ahead 10 years and put it in LA and uh, and I also start using gray in my uh, compositions well because it's a little bit in this you do have those gray yeah, the, flashback the, the chapter moments, headings which looks beautiful have, have gray and that encouraged me to go ahead and say well I can do the whole book that way it's and, a big uh, leap 
I mean, in my mind, things like that are, are scary. Well, it makes you're it, adding an instrument to the band. It's like it, well, and it and it made it hugely easier to compose images. Having a third color, oh, interesting, made it so much easier when you got like people in a dark room, you know, and, yeah, well, and there's shadows. So and weird. Stuff. I think if the I had, opposite. Like, gray, if I could so put gray funny. in there, it makes it so much. This is a well, it's a whole other color. I no, can but, be like, yeah. I, and I can I can have like. I can have like here's all the people in the background. I just paint them all gray, and they're now they're in the background. And I have my. It's because you're a good artist, like or like in black yeah, and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for other artists, that would be like, oh my god, I need to master this whole other well, component. It's also it's also pin helpful, and this is stupid, but it's super helpful with my African American characters to not have to make them solid black. I love the way is, you draw black people. Is a huge thing. Um, to be able it. to be able to like to to light them in a way that, that they're beautiful cartoon characters. Yeah, but try putting one outside at night, and then it's hard to draw. Like it's not right. it, having gray makes it so I can do so much more subtle stuff, and 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 it and it just gives me that much more. Cool, you know, it, it just it skin tones and clothing and buildings. Oh my god, all these black bricks. You know, now I could do a building that it could have gray bricks and it's not you know It's exciting. It's just nice to have the extra option. Cool. And what's the title? The working title is Billy Bonnie, but I don't know if I'm gonna stick with that. Uh that's the main character's name. And, and how just, far are we along? Like forty pages in. Awesome. I think. Cool. Something like that. It's probably gonna be another Two hundred pages like this one, so I'm, you know, almost Not such a long order. wait. That's like that's going to be three books, one after another. Yeah, only four or five years between them. Yeah, <laughs> hey, that's better than a lot you know, of people. Uh, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to go faster. You know, I'm trying to. Awesome. Like this one. This one was two hundred pages in four years, and Good Dog was one hundred pages in five years. So. Right. I, Doubled my output. You know what? One last question, yeah. and then we could see if anyone has any questions here. But do you think no one your, has any <laughs> do you think your tattoo work, the craft that goes into that, the aesthetics that go into that, play into your personal work? It's a limitation. Oh, tattooing means that I cannot draw as freely and expressively as I'd like because I'm constantly trying to make everything super clean and super. So you can see all the part, you know, like like I'm really big on, like it's really hard for me to draw a shadowy room where people are just hard to see. Mm-hmm. Like I have to make it really clear who is where and all the, you know, and that's all from tattooing. It's it's the anal retentive, clean, perfect quality that you need for a tattoo art is working against me in my comics from being able to express myself. So do you have to, do you feel like you're unlearning aspects of drawing? when? You- uh, yeah, just just trying to be livelier with the brush and and more expressive and less uptight with the drawings is a huge struggle be interesting if that like and then you go back to tattooing and then you're making really messy tattoos on people it's a total thing like it's a total juggling act every time like i I, I try to bring some of this back into tattooing and, and do tattoos that are less uptight and also the i'm trying to be less graphically uh, restricted <laughs> and um, tattooing doesn't help at all that's the opposite you know interesting so. and do you again last question I keep yeah. saying that but um, how do you manage your time do you have set times for drawing comics and sort of 
either writing, whatever you'd call writing? Yeah. Or is it just when you can find it? Where I can find it. And it's generally slow days at the tattoo shop. Wow. Like, I've got a day at the tattoo shop where I'm going to be there 12 hours, and i got, like, one appointment or something. Then i got a few hours I can just It's great that you can on. plug in like that. I oh, think, yeah, yeah, I, I can draw. Most, you know, I don't, everyone with day jobs, it's hard to to go from, like, whatever bullshit you're dealing with and then going, like, okay, I just need to figure out this scene. That's a really it's, difficult thing. i got lots of time at the Purple Panther. There's <laughs> nothing happening hours at a time. There's plenty, of, you know, and I, and I putter around, and I do everything I can to not get any work done and then I'll I've checked all my emails and Instagram a bunch of times and done the books and done the drawing for my tattoo that I got to do later and then I play a video game and then I can sit down and get some work done and I have enough just enough time on a slow day at the tattoo shop that I can actually make a whole comic book I can't really do anything at home there's too many distractions I gotta walk the dog I gotta do whatever there's go shopping do something right and uh, I can't really get into it at home but at the at the shop when there's nothing else to do I can get some awesome uh, are there any questions from the audience is there you doing all this by hand as well you mean as a brush and oh yeah 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 I'm too I don't know how to do anything on a computer it's all <laughs> big big 15 by 20 pages and a ruler and a, I use a mechanical pencil this mechanical pencil and uh, and then a, I used a dippy brush with a little ink pot forever and I graduated to a brush pen graduated? yeah like like I I moved forward technologically to a brush pen you're so about, weird about mm, was it as good? Two, is the, I don't use straight. a brush but I thought people are really like into their sable hair like, yeah yeah they are but that's dumb Newton, I'm yeah, it doesn't, it's it all doesn't matter it's all bullshit right. that's quality I mean I will say there are like Charles Burns doesn't give a shit about his brushes Chris Ware buys the cheapest brushes and, Charles, and, his, and those so, guys have the know. cleanest work right ever. so it is kind of bullshit but you know growing it's, up everyone's I, like you gotta spend $80 on the nice that's brush that's because that's because they feel like having their tools will make them better artists and you should be able to draw with mud on your thumb that's all you need and I uh, the brush pen is better because I don't have to dip it. It's faster, and it doesn't dribble ink all over. You know, like you don't have That's accidents true. with it. You know, That's true. That's and true. it just and it works fine. And I couldn't tell the difference. And is I, it archival ink? You probably don't even know. No idea. Right? No idea. And uh, of course, and it, who cares? It, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna. It would last longer than me, right? Like it's gonna. I don't know. I'm pretty sure the brush pen ink will last longer than 100 years, especially if it's not just out hung up on a wall somewhere. It's just in a folder in a flat file or something. It doesn't matter. For now. Um, and it's all digitally reproduced anyway. Um, but it's, it's just faster and more efficient. And, I couldn't, and I've shown people, like, here's the regular brush, here's the brush pen. Can you see any difference? And no one could. Right. And so if people couldn't see a stylistic change halfway through the book when I started using the brush pen, then... You're good gold. to go. Yeah. And then the, the new book... I'm still using a brush pen, but I'm using regular brushes for all the grays because I don't have a brush pen for gray. I don't know how to do that. Um, I know that we'll I could. We'll go to the art supply shop. Yeah, we have to, we have to find Blow your mind. Stuff. But I, 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 I got like three... There's definitely pay. a gray. I know there's gray ink, but I but I have to... The gray, the brush pen didn't... The cartridges. Oh, because you need the variant. Because with yeah. the water, you can do yeah. a lot of variation um, there. It's very painterly. 
It is. Right? The new style must be... It is, in a bad way. Right. Because I just it. want to get a nice, clean, gray background that I'm, like, filling in around other people, and it's blotchy and splotchy, and then I wind up having to make it extra brushstrokey on purpose so that it looks like it did it on purpose. When totally. I was actually trying to make it nice and smooth, but it won't, and, you know. Everything mm-hmm. is an accident that you try to make look like you did on purpose. So it's called style, right? Yeah. Limitations well, and, that, and mistakes. And that is what defines an artist's style, right? The, the visible evidence of the artist trying to struggle with something and come to terms with like his own limitations, and then whatever the final output of that is, that's style. Otherwise, you just have something visually perfect that's kind of boring. It'll be like Boogero or something, right. you know, one of those Norman Rockwell where it's like perfect. Well, you start seeing that, right? Like, you, know. you start seeing... Especially, like you start seeing as cartoonists get older, they just want to draw perfectly, and so a lot of the charm of their early work is often gone. Because well, unless they get palsy craft. or lose their eyesight, like Charles Schultz, and then they're just drawing these like wiggly, weird things, and it's kind of more interesting, right? You know, um, I like it when Billy. We draws could all be so lucky. Family circus, yeah. You know, let your kid go. Right. All right. Any other questions? From the audience. Everyone here is like a friend of mine. They don't have any questions. <laughs> right. They can bother yeah. you later. Oh, yeah, in the back. Can you talk about the like the, the, the wells, you, like the sources where you find your images from, like how you decide which image is an image you want to use and which image is an image you don't want to use? For like for this particular book? Yeah. Well, well you know, connected to that is like, do you start with reference first that you want to use? Or are you going no. like, oh, you've already in, thumbnailed I, the scene? In and my like, mind, oh. in my mind, I've already shot the scene. I know what it looks like in my mind. It's like they're going to pull up to this station. So it's just a matter of finding, you know. The and right then I just building. look for that thing, mm-hmm. and and like for this, I found. Point I don't even know what one. I was looking for. The back of a building. Point to that. Something. And then oh. the Hammond's Candy Express was another thing that I found, and I put them together. Mm-hmm. And then I had to find the police car. I had to find whatever kind of car that is. I don't remember what the police are driving. Does anyone know that car? George? It's a Ford Fairlink. You don't know where that is. <laughs> um, it's, uh, but it's a real car, and it's a real van, and it's a real building. And, uh, and then, the, you know, if you, were to get, if you were to zoom in, you know, the two cops are character actors from movies and stuff. And then the only made-up people are the guy loading the truck and the guy with a clipboard in his hand. Um, and uh, it's it's more that I just kind of know what I'm looking for, and then I'm just like endlessly searching on the internet to find the right thing. And sometimes it'll be you'll see something, and you're like, "Whoa, that's a cool motel! I'm going to put that in my comic book." And then you just it's bookmarked in your brain, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I need a motel for this I, scene. Uh, I remember collecting a few. I'm going to use that really awesome one that I found." And I was on a trip to Sequoia, and I found like an abandoned uh, car repair shop that wound up becoming a building in the movie, uh, in the book. And um, and I'd just been saving it, you know, for what I, I knew I was going to use it at some point, and I just kept it there. You know, or I was like, that'll be perfect for this scene, and I just mentally remembered that that sure. was something I wanted to use. Uh, but mostly it's just, I kind of had an idea in my mind about where the scene was supposed to be and how it should feel, and I just copied that. And I just, you know, then you just go on the internet and you just look for a million things. Right. Um, it's no special thing. I'm just Google searching vintage whatever, you know. And and the 1960s in this book are all the whole 1960s because like you can't say 1962 New York street scene. You just say New York 1960s, and then you 
just say that looks fine and you put it in there <laughs> Mad Men was a big I like found a lot, a lot of the clothing and oh, stuff that so comes funny. from Mad Men a lot of the interior design comes from Mad Men it's like Don Draper's apartment and then you find the furniture and the stuff because it's not necessarily easy to find like a swanky Manhattan apartment interior from the 60s. That's too many keywords. I just wrote Don Draper's apartment, and there's like a million pictures. And then you can say, how about that clock? How about that carafe? How about that coffee table? And just start putting stuff together. Um, so TV shows are huge. Columbo and stuff. And just any kind of vintage TV show is an endless source of froze freeze frame stuff for people's outfits. The new book is all set in the 70s, and I'm using Columbo a lot for... Uh, clothing and hairstyles and cars and LA skyline in the 70s and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm also driving around, I'm, for this book, because it's in LA, I'm driving around looking for older neighborhoods that have essentially unchanged. Uh, there's going to be a lot in the valley because we just moved to the valley and there's a great, there, there's great. A, the, the, corner, the corner of Van Ness and Van Owen. Mm-hmm hasn't changed since 1980 I'm pretty sure and there's going to be a lot of my new book is going to be taking place down that version of the street then down that from yeah. you know you just, all four angles from the intersection maybe different parts of the city because it's all all the stuff from the valley that hasn't changed and I can use it to be my LA noir buildings and palm mm-hmm. trees and bar signs and stuff you know a lot of parts of LA you can't go down on Melrose and find the 70s you know you can't go on Sunset and find the 70s you got to look a lot harder you have to go way out in the edges of town to find the stuff that hasn't been updated so that's my new thing right now is driving around and like Susan's been like I saw this great coffee shop or I saw this great bank or whatever we got to go take pictures of it you know where it's the right building so it's all I'm taking my own reference photos a lot now for this one because it's in LA. Cool. Okay. Any more questions? Are we good? Everybody's ready to buy this book? Get it signed? Yay. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Graham. Thank you. Congratulations sir. on the new book. It's awesome. Yay. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.